This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore, and happy Valentine's Day, everyone. We have a quick supplemental that is, well, sentimental. <laughs> You've always been the sensitive one, Zach. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. This Valentine's Day, we're going to discuss the best Kirk romances from the original series, and there are quite a few, aren't there, Ken? Yeah, I like this idea. And, and, you know, I think from the reboots, you know, you got this impression that, that Kirk was really a big time player. But when you came up with this, and I give you full credit, you came up with this, and you and you look back, you know, there, there wasn't a ton of, of romances. And uh, I thought it, I thought it was uh, very appropriate, seeing that it is Valentine's Day, to kind of go back and take a look at the favorites. Ooh, yeah, yeah, love music. They always play like, ooh, ooh. I, might, I might drop that in. I might drop that in and post. We'll see, you guys. We'll see if I took the time to do that. <laughs> but uh, that's what I always think of. And I think these montages, because I remember it might have been like the the 25th anniversary special or, or one of these Star Trek specials where they have the, they, they play that music and they just show it all the, the Kirk kisses and stuff from the show. And that always stuck with me, that, that video montage of all, all the many loves of Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did kiss a lot, didn't he? He did, yeah. and you're right. There is a, a uh, perception that Kirk was a, a womanizer, and, and yes, he did have a lot of um, uh, forays into relations with the opposite sex on the original series. But it's not like <laughs> it's not like he was uh, wasn't you know sleeping with the green alien girl every week. Like that's the cliche, and that is so rare. Right, I mean, yeah. yes, compared to the other captains, yes, he probably did more romancing than the rest of them. But uh, you know, it was it was you know he's a good looking guy in his thirties, man. You know, uh, I can relate. So, well, not yet. I'm 29, so <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing what you do. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I wish I could remember that far back. But uh, you know, you know what's funny too is if if you haven't seen it, have you seen the the robot chicken episode with with Kirk? And um, having to go back and tell all these girls that he um, he gave them some kind of space herpes. Oh my god! Oh, no, I don't think I've seen that one. <laughs> yeah, if, if if listeners, if you haven't seen it and you and you kind of have a you know that that sense of humor that I have that can that can go the other direction sometimes, it is pretty damn funny. That is such a robot chicken thing to do. I, I love how they take those things and just play them to the absurd extreme. <laughs> <laughs> on that show that's great oh man so uh ken what is your favorite romance of captain kirk 
As I thought about it and was going back and forth, I thought the best romance was the one he had in Paradise Syndrome with Miramani. I liked it for a couple of reasons. One, um, it was, you know, it was it was an interesting circumstance. Uh, obviously, Kirk loses his memory, uh, becomes Kirok. I and, am Kirok. Uh, I am Kirok, and uh, he falls in love. He actually um, gets married. Uh, they're going to have a baby. I mean, it, it went as, about as far as we we'd seen any romance goes, and uh, it was tragic ending you know and it wasn't an ending where it all just kind of comes together in a nice little bow it was it was actually pretty sad and you know and it was real so that's that's you know there's a lot of them out there and, and I'm sure as we get talking into yours we can talk about others but I you know after kind of going through it I thought I thought that was the one that um, was probably the most intense you know that episode takes place over what two months or, or longer or something like yeah. that. yeah Along that timeline, yeah. So that really does help that particular romance because there's, there's time for you to be like, oh, well, they got to know each other, they fell in love, they spent some actual time together because, you know, being an episodic television show, the original series, it's we're in, we're out, 50 minutes onto the next journey. You don't you really delve into characters. There's the, the time span is very truncated, right? So these romances of the week, they come and they go, and they don't feel like they have a lot of weight to them. Wow, in this situation, totally, I totally get, see what you're saying about Miramani there and the Paradise Syndrome it's a it's an interesting episode it had some pretty interesting concepts for season three I, I'd say that's one of the better episodes for mainly for the emotional uh aspect to it Ken yeah you know we joke about the uh, bonk bonk on the head which is how he loses his his memory <laughs> exactly <laughs> right but and and that's that's become kind of a a, a kind of a, a tired play I guess or a tired trope that you see on TV a lot and they just remember just enough to function but nothing else but I, you know it, it it is what it is it was fun it was um it was a very different episode again they take risks on Star Trek they took risks with that you know I'm sure they weren't sure how that was going to play but it worked out so can my only kind of thing about the paradise syndrome is it's not really Kirk I mean because he has amnesia does that does that bother you at all that it's not really him? Or is it more like, do you see it as more like he's free now of all his responsibility? And that's why it's such a, he's able to go headlong in that relationship the way he did. That's right. It, it's it's the latter part of that, Zach. Great question. And, and and I could see how you could take that either way, right? But he, he's not tied down to a ship. He's not tied down to anything. And he's free. I mean, he could, he could look at her and go, eh. Or, you know, he could find that right woman. Um, but he's got to live his life. And uh, of course, I mean, he's trying to figure things out as he goes. But I thought the the reason why, to me, it made the most sense was because it was the most pure, right? There was, there was uh, the reason he was there was one thing, but he didn't know what it was, right? Or any, or any piece of it. Uh, in every other case, he was either on some kind of mission or, you know, um, there was something going on that forced him into the situation. There just happened to be this this right woman there, and it took the story where it went with those. those. But this one, that's what made it different for me, was this was 100% pure choice. And uh, from, you know, from watching that episode, probably been about a year and a half, maybe two since I've seen it, but uh, I just remember going, you know, this is this is kind of a neat thing for, for Kirk. And it, uh, I don't know, he was free and clear to do whatever he wanted, he chose her. He's going to marry her. You know, kind of, um, uh, 
a mini Inner Light story? I don't know, but I, I, that's hmm. what I liked about it. I like that. The, the, the original series, Inner Light. There you go. Yeah, sort of, kind of. But there, there are things that, um, that tie the two series together, I think, very well. That, uh, you know, that there's, there's some concepts that, that really came across in TOS that were used in TNG. But in this case, yeah, uh, it, it was that. It was just that it was, it was pure. Interesting. You know, I haven't watched that episode in a while, but I'm going to rewatch it with that frame of mind. The the whole the the original series take on inner light, if you will. I, I like that. So I'll I'll, I'll uh, keep that in mind next time I watch the Paradise Syndrome. Okay. Good, good, good. Glad you will. That's that's where I'm at, Zach. So what about you, sir? So for me, I'm going to go cliche. I'm going to say City on the Edge of Forever, Edith Keeler. I know that's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's probably the the cliche answer, but I think it's cliche for a reason. I mean, everybody gravitates towards that as the 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 epic romance of Kirk and Edith Keeler. And the way I see it, you know, I'm a big fan of the, the Crucible trilogy of novels that came out uh, for the 40th anniversary. And that, that takes the city on the edge of forever. And each book uh, focuses on Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. It's a trilogy of books. And it just focuses in on that story and extrapolates around it past and future uh, and how those how the events of that episode uh, echo throughout their lives. And that that took the approach that they were actually in the past for an extended period of time. So much like Paradise Syndrome, Ken, where Kirk was on that planet for a couple of months, you know, the same can be said for Kirk and Spock when they were in New York in the 30s, like, because they didn't just show up. And then, uh, of course, in the episode, it kind of seems that way. It's like they show up and then McCoy just shows up. But, you know, there there's a passage of time. If you look, Kirk and Spock were in an apartment. Mm-hmm. Looked like they've been doing their thing there for a while. So there is a true... Uh, amount of time for Kirk and Edith Keeler to get to know each other and to, to fall in love. And it's a very it's a very innocent, really flirtatious love, and uh, that, that's what, that's what's great about it. And and it's it's Kirk finds love where he least expects it. Right, they're there to go find McCoy and reset the timeline, but little do they know he'd find some a kindred spirit, right, and Edith Keeler who who sees beyond uh, her time and is very idealistic. And uh, you know you, you can see why that would connect to somebody like Kirk. Because I mean, it look at I mean, Paradise Syndrome, right? At the beginning of that episode, he's talking about how it, you know a simpler life would be would be nice and all that, and and so you know he he really uh, gravitates towards people with idealism, which I mean, he himself is an idealist as well. I mean, I don't think I don't think a lot of I don't think every Starfleet captain can quote the uh, Constitution of the United States, you know, <laughs> from, right. from memory. So uh, the man is an idealist. So. You know, I, I just really like uh, William Shatner and Joan Collins' chemistry there, and, and you, you really do buy, even though we only, like I said, episodic TV, 50 minutes, you're in and out. But over that 50 minutes, you really feel uh, the chemistry there, and you really feel the, the emotional weight at the end of the episode where he, he has to let her die to preserve the timeline, and that is hardcore. And you can even see it just how he's devastated, right, in that, in that last shot in the 30s where he's can't even he can't even bear to look. And then, of course, when they get back to the planet, and he says, let's get the hell out of here. Like, whoa, that really affected him, right? So, you know, for, for all the reasons, I mean, people talk about Sydney on the Edge of Forever all, all day long, and it's, you know, arguably Trek's, well, it's definitely its most famous episode. It's arguably its best. Uh, and I really do feel that Edith Keeler is the best love interest that Kirk had on the original show. Yeah, you can't argue your choice. I think that's that's an excellent choice. And it's, it's up there, you know, when I was going through it, obviously, I think she was, that was the first one I thought about. And then I kind of did a review of the different episodes. And I went, oh, yeah. And then, you know, that's that's the only reason it, it switched for me was just kind of, you know, and it is, I guess there is kind of a, a danger to, to falling in love with James T. Kirk. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe they should wear red. I don't know. 
because <laughs> <laughs> good things do not happen to these ladies. But yeah, obviously, um, City on the Edge of Forever and Ida Keeler is such a powerful episode, uh, such an emotional episode, uh, the whole nine yards. And uh, it was it was a, a brilliant story with a, a captivating love interest, you know, and it was... And it was born to not, you know, Joan, Joan Collins, don't get me wrong, she's a very attractive lady. But, you know, here's a woman who's dressed in, in you know, in the garb of the 19, late 1930s, early 1940s, uh, very conservative, and really is appreciated for her, you, you know, her, her heart, her charitable works, her mindset, her glowing, you know, um, appeal towards the future, you know, a lot of things that were attractive to Kirk beyond what you would see in a lot of the other episodes, which were, you know, women that were um, scantily dressed or, you know, made up, blonde, over the top sometimes. And, you know, that, that, that aspect of it is something that to be admired in that relationship because it goes against what they did with him a lot of times as, as other shows came around. And, you know, it, it showed that uh, he had he was more than a surface guy. Let's put it that way. Right. There's a definite maturity to that relationship. They yeah. connect on a mental level, you know, more mm-hmm. than just the, the the superficial stuff. And you know, cause there would always be episodes where like an attractive woman comes by and like you know Kirk and Bones share a look and you know something like that. And that that's not the case here, you know. And and that's an ex- that's an excellent point there, Ken. You know, they 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 connect. Their souls connect, right? It's not just a a physical attraction, which of course they're both good looking people, but it goes beyond that. And and you know. It, that, that's just so that not that you're ever going to find yourself in that situation right but you got to think like man if i was in that situation what would i do would i really let her die like that like that's that's tough like uh, i don't know what would you do ken if you're in that situation oh good god who knows i mean uh you know the heart can be a very powerful uh instrument in in things like that and you know obviously you're you're talking about your interest in in your own life and in the deaths of millions more than you know than the, than the twenty three or twenty four million people that died during World War Two, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I would hope I would make the right decision to get the timeline right because I wasn't supposed to be in the first place, but it, yeah, at that split second, who knows? You know how you'd react. Well, it's even it's even worse. That it's like. He he's gonna move and he stops himself, but then he has to stop McCoy from doing it too. So it's like a double. Like you have to stop yourself and stop someone else from saving the life of the woman you love. Like that is that is heavy stuff. Heavy stuff, man. So. Yeah. Do you know what you've done? He knows, Doctor. He knows. <laughs> it was rough. So was happy rough. Valentine's Day, huh? <laughs> because, yeah. Yeah, you're right, okay. kid. It is not safe to to have a long term romantic relationship with James T. Kirk. If you just have a fling with him. You might be okay, you know. Yeah, but. Well, you know, you had, you know, you had Carol Marcus, and and she did all right, right? Right, she, uh, right. She she would probably be my number two, just for the fact that Kirk had a son with Carol Marcus, and they had a, you know, again, that's more of an intellectual relationship. She is she is a completely self made woman, respected scientist. You know, she's doing her thing, Kirk's doing his thing, and they don't even do some cheesy thing where they kind of like. They see each other again for the first time in years, and they rekindle some romance. You can tell there's still an affection there, but they understand it like you know that that was then, this is now, and there's a maturity to their relationship even uh, well past their romance. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what what makes that special, and the fact that you know she wanted to be the influence of their son and not really have him involved or tied in, which 
you know, to me, that was kind of a, a sad moment, you know, when that was said and spoken. And, you know, you would hope that uh, Kirk would, I guess, be a better father. Uh, it, it just kind of an odd thing. But that, that doesn't have much to do with the relationship with Carol Marcus, right? What it what attracted to her. I mean, I mean, as we saw in the reboot, she was a very attractive woman, but she was also a very intelligent woman. And those two things are never mutually exclusive, <laughs> I think. Um, you know, you can you you can be attractive to someone like he was to Edith Keeler because of who she is, not what she looks like. And uh, it was probably a mix like that for Carol Marcus. I thought one other um, interesting relationship was with uh, Raina Caper from Requiem for Methuselah. Yeah, see, that is an underrated episode. Uh, Requiem for Methuselah. Now, I think, I believe, uh, Vic Mignaga, I believe that's his favorite episode from Star Trek Continues, who plays Kirk and pretty yeah. much is the, is, the, is the head guy over there in Star Trek Continues. I believe that's his favorite episode oh, of I Star Trek. I believe I read an interview like that. That's a very fascinating choice. The only thing I would say about that, though, is it's so rushed, that whole romance, right? It just takes over the just a couple days, right? And he's, like, devastatedly in love with her. Like, what what do you think about that? Well, you know, as, as I thought about that, a couple things entered my head. One... You know, she was perfectly constructed, right? She, she obviously was, um, I don't know if she was considered an android. I, I don't remember, but she was definitely synthetic. And She was a replicant. No. <laughs> yeah, replicant. That's the right word. And, and she was, you know, she was created by a genius. So I looked at it, now that I look at it, I, I think about how um, Riker fell for Minuet, you know, the perfect woman, you know, in, in and that's what he saw. That's a good call, yeah. Yeah, and it was it was such a, a powerful draw for him, and uh, you know, obviously, again, another tragic ending, right? She kind of short circuits, and he needs his mind wiped by Spock because of how powerful that love was, right? That was also very interesting. Whereas, you know, not Edith Keeler, not Miramani, um, not Carol Marcus, or whatever was it so devastated that. Um, you know, he, he needed help from his friend to help, uh, you know, alleviate the pain. And that, that, that to me was kind of, wow, you know, that's, uh, you know, that, that must've been some kind of torrid love affair. Well, you a know, couple the, the things on that just point. So deep. Yeah. Like that is the genesis for the remember in Star Trek two is that's the right. forget and Requiem for Methuselah. You know, that that's, that you can see how that, that ties together there. Remember, forget. I like that. That's a great point. I hadn't put that together. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that's the way I choose to see it. And well, well, I, I doubt it was intentional, but it's, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think Nick Meyer was going, oh, let's do this. But anyway. I don't know what Harv Bennett said that and he watched all 79 episodes, so goes the story. So he might he might have made a note of that. Who knows? But Maybe. the uh, the other thing is, you know, I actually edited a version of, uh, just, just for my own purposes, uh, the end of Sydney on the Edge of Forever. And I added mm -hmm. this scene. I edited around it. Because <laughs> I feel like this scene at the end of Requiem from Methuselah fits better at the end on Sid of the Edge of Forever, right? So I made this little, like, fan-edit scene, and you have to cut around some certain things, and uh, so I uploaded it online, but then it was taken down for copyright reasons, so hey, hey -oh. <laughs> but... Uh... Whoopsie. <laughs> so if you want to see what I did there, just contact me personally, maybe we can work something out. But, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, it's just, it's it's an excellent scene in a good episode, uh, and that, that whole emotional thread elevates what... Uh, you know, it just carries you over the, the, the plot inconsistencies where you're like, I don't know, it's only been a day, but you make an excellent point about, you know, Flint 
creating the perfect woman there, Ken, and why she'd be so attractive to to Kirk in such a short amount of time. So yeah, that, that ending alone just for Spock and McCoy, they're back and forth about love is, is very powerful. And then of course, you know, Spock proves McCoy wrong by showing he has the love of friendship for Kirk for seeing how much he's hurting to uh, erase that memory. Now, now if that's the right thing to do, who's to say it's pretty, it's a pretty intrusive thing to do without someone's consent, but Hey, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Not, not to bring up, Star Trek Five, but I, I, you know, I need my pain. <laughs> Should I turn left when I turn right? It's like actually, you know, uh, uh, you know Jim. Let me tell you about this time that I. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, let me let me give this back to you and see if you still want it. It's uh, yeah, it's it's just interesting premise. Um, but the um, obviously his his number one romance, number one romance, is with his ship. There's no doubt about that. There you though. go. I knew you were going to pull that. You're your favorite character of the Enterprise, right, Ken? I knew you were going to pull that one out. <laughs> yeah, and it's something that I can certainly relate to. Um, you, you, you do tend to, um, to have this, this affinity and affection for, for anything that uh, you become a part of. And uh, I can't imagine, like you said, you know, just like you, extremely attractive, in his 30s, you know, all that other stuff. I'm 29, for the record. Is that all you are? Yeah, that's right. God. <laughs> but at any rate, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, th- I, I think of that, that, that one element. I mean, you, you don't meet a lot of ship's captains usually that young. Now, years ago, that was very common. And, you know, in, in, in World War II, ship's captains were in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s, some of them. They might not have the rank of captain, lieutenant commanders or whatever, but they captain ships. That's, that's pretty romantic in itself. I mean, you're... You know, you've got this uh, uh, in- incredible vessel too. I mean, that there's got to be a lot of appeal to having that kind of, um, I guess, authority and status uh, in in the Federation, right? There's only twelve of those type of ships, so uh, it's two things. You know, he's got this this beautiful, majestic ship that, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, is one of, if not the flagship of the Federation. He's in command of it, and um, it serves them extraordinarily well. It takes a pounding, but it gives it right back, and um, and then, you know, you you have himself as this very very powerful individual who who plays it right, and uh, yeah, I think it's kind of neat that they uh, that they they played it that way because a lot of ships captains do think of of their vessels along those ways, and you know, I remember many many years ago, you know, you could be stationed on some some rust buckets out there. Um, but they'll always tell you, you know, never, uh, never put down your command, never put down your ship, no matter how, you know, how old it is, no matter how rough a shape it, never put it down because it's you and the team that's going to, you know, make it so that she can, um, she can fight and that she can get you home. And she also comes to a tragic end, huh, Ken? She does. And his emotion during that tragic end tells you how much he cared for it. Yeah. You know, just like, um, in Star Trek, the motion picture. I mean, that whole scene where he's just staring at it and just, you know, it's like I'm back and you're 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 more beautiful than ever, right? That's good. Oh, that's a good that's a good callback about the ship because that's the you know I've already got a woman to worry about. Her name's the Enterprise, right? That's that was Kirk's deal in the original show, and that's what people forget about. Like his first love really is the ship, like his love for duty, his love for his his command, you know, and that's what overrides any anything else, any kind of you know frivolous romantic interest. Because when he when he gets in these real in depth relationships it's it's extraneous circumstances right he's lost his memory he's stranded on a planet he doesn't even know he's himself right uh, when he's kirok 
when he's uh, with Edith Keeler, they're in the past. They don't, they don't know how long they have back there. They're just making making things go. He's he, he's free of all responsibilities in both those cases. You know? That's right. Uh, his command of the ship. And then, of course, you know, in Requiem from Thuselos, we talked about in some uh, detail. So the perfect woman. And then, of course, they do have that fever going on. I think it's what, Rigelian fever, is it? So maybe, maybe that's at play there as well. Could be. Uh, but for, for all these other, you know these montage of women that we were talking about earlier that he, that he kisses throughout the show. There's always just something else going on. But uh, I, I think I think we've all, uh, I think we've all, I think we've made some good choices here, Ken, about, you know, what the highlights of Kirk's love life. And then one, one final bit of trivia question for the for you, though. Do you think the blonde lab technician from Where No Man Has Gone Before was Carol Marcus? What do you think? No. No, I don't. You don't like, you don't like that universe shrinking? No. No. That that you know I've heard that a few times, but you know you know I'm I'm one of those guys too, Zach. I mean I'm probably the the wrong guy to to ask because <laughs> unless they spell it out, I usually don't you know go nuts and and I would have those conversations back when um, Jeff and Jeff Norm and I were were doing the show. You know Jeff was a brilliant person who would tie all these things together. In fact, he has a whole website dedicated to it, right? Where you know, one piece goes to the next and this, and then he would read all the novels and try to piece all these things together. He's that guy, right? I, I'm so damn pragmatic. I, I mean, I'm almost boring. And I know I'm not a creative guy. But, you know, when people go, well, why did he do that? Did that, did that, that? I'm the guy going, because the writers wrote it that way. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think of it beyond that and it's in some cases, which is good and bad. Uh, but uh, it, it is... It's an interesting premise. I guess it would be fun. I don't. Has there ever been a book to tie it to that? Uh, I'm sure there has, uh, but I think I think we all know that the blonde lab technician was really Ruth from Shoreleaf. I think that's who it was. Oh, that's right. She <laughs> did come back as that yeoman. And, and I don't know. I'm just saying. But there was a Star Trek Continues episode that had Carol Marcus in it, and um, yeah, there was a Phase Two episode. That Star Trek New Voyages Phase Two fan series oh, that's with right. Carol Marcus. That's right. You know that was actually pretty well done. I thought. Well, I, I'm not sure how exactly it fit into the continuity because if it's supposed to take place in the, you know, fourth or fifth season right. of the original series, right? Uh, and that's when Kirk and Carol Marcus first meet. Uh, do the math. David is what, like 13 in the Wrath of Khan? That's not right. Yeah, so, 13 or 14, yeah. And maybe... <laughs> I'm just saying, no, he's like he's like 25 <laughs> in the Wrath of Khans, right? Okay, fair enough, <laughs> I mean, fair enough. So that serious continuity gap there. Now... If we're talking fan series, there actually was an episode of Star Trek Continues uh, called The White Iris. I remember that. And it actually talks about how, uh, you know, we've been, you know, referencing how all these women come to tragic ends. That episode actually addresses that uh, in quite head on, actually, with all these, all these, a lot of these characters. In fact, most of the characters we've discussed here in this conversation uh, make appearances in that episode. And Kirk has to deal with, you know, this, this guilt uh, that he feels for for having lost all these previous uh, loves in his life. So uh, it's an interesting take. It's uh, it's not something I feel like they would have done in the '60s. I think Star Trek continues best episodes are the ones that kind of like you know Lawani, for example. That's a standalone yeah. that that could have actually been a four season episode. Would they have ever done an episode like The White Iris in 1970 on the original series? Probably not. But uh, it's a uh, it's a story that uh, they they definitely had a lot of heart to it. Sure. Uh, so yes, the the fans the fan series delve into these relationships as well. It's just part of the, part of the fandom, right? Part of part of the fandom. Yeah, hey, it's what it's what makes it fun. And I I know when I was much younger, I would always try to tie things together and and um and, and make it all sensical. And you know the the more I look back and and I think about how particularly the movies were made and 
uh, how more how more and more things were updated, you know, it, it became more about is this a great story to tell versus how does it fit in the entire story? And uh, sometimes it can be a struggle to put it all together. But it's it's a good point about the white iris, though. That you know, I forgot about that episode. That that. Boy, you're right. That does that does hit it right on. And uh, sorry for mixing up the two series, uh, Mr. Collie, Mr. Monte. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, talking about the loves of Kirk isn't the only thing we've been doing this week on Trek FM. Here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM. To the journey! The origin of the Voth was that the lizard babies went back in time. <laughs> And then they evolved into yes. the yes. So Cap- Captain Janeway is the ancestor of their entire yes. race. Is that what you're Tom saying? Tom and Janeway are the ancestors of the entire boss race. Literary treks. It never stops. You, you never really have a moment to say like, yay, good job. It's like literally, okay, on to the next thing. You're probably already late on the next three things that you're supposed to be doing. Melodic treks. You know, when you're used to recording either at Abbey Road or Sony Studios in Hollywood, uh, it's you know, it's hard to, to go to another room that doesn't have that same kind of sound, you know. Um, and, and also the depth of players is not, just, you know, it's just not as deep as it is here in, in London, for instance, you know. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes and helps us increase our visibility for new listeners. If you would like to get in touch with us here at trek.fm, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. So let me talk to you for a second about Patreon, Zach. Patreon is the program that Trek FM employs in order to get donations to keep the network coming to you commercial-free. It is wonderful. Most of the hosts here on Trek FM are big contributors to Patreon and found our way onto the network through Patreon. So if you can uh, spare any money, uh, and we don't care what the denomination is, it really means a lot to us because there is a lot of content that we're putting up there, a lot of bandwidth, a lot of programming, a lot of equipment that we need. So please, if you can help us out, we'd appreciate it. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash trackfm. And you can you can click any donation you want. And we do have some incentives for you. So for $15 a month, you get to join the Patrons Roundtable where you podcast. And, and, you know, again, that is where a lot of us started. It was on the Roundtable. I was on the very first one. I had a blast. And if you can contribute $25 or more per month, then you get associate producer credits for whatever show you like. And we love our associate producers. So please, 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 if you if you have the ability, it is more than appreciated. And speaking of our associate producers, thank you from the bottom of our hearts to Renee Roberts, Aaron Harvey, Nicholas Anastasio, and of course, Norman Lau. Thank you all for your support of Standard Orbit and Trek FM through Patreon. Now you can find Renee at Twitter at Emrys, 
underscore 1701. You can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at Geek Filter. You can find Norman Lau at Starfighter 1701. And you can you can uh, interact with Nick and all of us on the Babel Conference, and that's that's where we find uh, Nick hanging out all the time. Yeah, and you can find me on the Babel Conference. I love to hang out there. And you can reach me through Facebook directly or via Twitter. My handle is at Boston SCPO. That stands for Senior Chief Petty Officer. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show from the early 2000s. And we're on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. And also, I'm around the Babel Conference as well. It's always great to talk to you guys on there, making conversation about our shows, other shows, general Star Trek topics, anything really on there. So thanks for listening, everyone. And join us again next time here on Trek.fm for another episode of Standard Orbit. Standard Orbit.